0: And this morning, we are going to look at the love of God and look at the love of Christ. I think it's a very apical subject for today. And I see a lot of you wearing red this morning. And uh, maybe it was an accident. Some of you, I think it was. Uh, Others, no. I can tell that you did that on purpose. And the one's an accident. Maybe some of the men is what I was referring to. So if you're like me, I try not to match with my wife. And then she tries to match me. And I sometimes just give up. So anyways, and that's fine. This morning we get to look at, you know, often when you think about love and you think about love in the Bible, people think of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And actually it's about half of a love chapter, kind of. Great, wonderful words there. But there's a book in the Bible that I've often described and thought of, and it's like, well, if that's the love chapter, then 1 John is the love book. So we're going to look at at... First John, we're going to look at what it means to love as Christians and uh, the great and wonderful things that come from it. And before we think more about the subject of love, let's start with a prayer. Please, please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we come before you. We know your steadfast love, your mercy and your forgiveness upon us and your great grace. We see your love in Jesus Christ and we thank you for sending him to die, to be buried and to rise again to give us eternal life. We thank you that he is at your right hand and that he intercedes on our behalf. We ask your blessings us upon us now that our minds and our hearts think about your words that we read about in Scripture. May these things help change us, help us to live every day more with the love that comes from you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're we'll getting to look at that great subject here. And you remember the passage in Scripture, and the statement is twice. That is often said, God is love. And that's what 1 John 4 and verse 8 says. It's also what 1 John 4 and verse 16 says. It is a theme there God is love. Not that love is God, but for many people today, it's however they define love or they choose for love. And the Christian love, the biblical love, is. Different. It's deeper. It has a source and a foundation unlike any other. We have a standard. We have a sense of strength that comes from our Creator and understanding love. And of course, that begins with Christ. Now, if you know me, I like to think about things on a little bit deeper level. And I start thinking about this and I think God is love. And I start thinking about it and I wonder what would people today? Someone who's not really thinking about God or the Creator, and maybe their life is disconnected from Him. Maybe they live a very secular life, maybe an atheist, I don't know. What would they say about love? What is it, and where did it come from? Well, I imagine they would say, well, it's an invention of man, and it's been around as long as man needed it for whatever purpose of survival, whatever it might be. You ever think about that? I, w- I would hope, and I wouldn't want to think about love as just simply a mechanism and an, an invention for survival. That is, in that sense. But you start thinking about where love comes from, it makes sense to me that such virtues as love, and the beginning of it, that love had no beginning other than God, and that love is eternal. And so when I read these things in the Bible, and I think God is love, it's just a wonderful thought. God is love. Love is eternal, and it's always been constant. It's the very foundation of what it means to be a Christian. It is the basis of our virtue. It is the first of the fruits of the Spirit, and it is what we are to live for and display as Christians. And you start thinking about this as well. I also think about some deeper philosophical questions. You can blame my education for that, um, at least for some of the schools I went to. But start thinking about um, how does love exist? You know, can can love exist apart from any person? Well, no, it can't. That that just doesn't seem reasonable. So it makes sense to me that love has no beginning; therefore, it, it's always been constant and unchanging, and it must have a source, and that source must be a person. To me, that again just demonstrates that God is love, and that the existence of love proves and demonstrates that God exists. He, And and that's just a wonderful thing to think about. I like to think about things that deeply. And as I was reading through 1 John chapter 4, those are some of the thoughts that came to my mind. So I want to read. This will be an exposition we're going to start off with. Reading from 1 John 4, 7 through 12. So if you have your Bible on your phone or you got it on steel and paper, I do too. We want to open our Bibles and we want to read this right here because I won't have this passage of scripture on the screen and we want to draw some observations from the text so first john chapter four and let's begin in verse seven now i'm starting in the middle of it if you back up into chapters three and before that you're going to find even more details about love and we're going to do that a little bit but i thought when i was looking through this this is an excellent place to start for us so let's look at this first john chapter four seven through twelve and john says beloved now notice that just starting from the very beginning he addresses Christians, his uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Beloved, I love you. And the Greek word there, phileo, brotherly love, beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God. God is the source of love, he says. So we need to be loving one another. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And there's a lot to be said about that. If you're a hateful person and you don't love, then you cannot say that you truly no God. And you cannot continue in the basis of, of claiming to be born of God. Yes, you might have been a born again of the water and the Spirit, but if you fall away and you no longer love your brother, you're not living in that life that you were, you were born into as a Christian. And again, Let's keep reading here. So whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So love is essential being a Christian. Look at verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. We must love. And we must love in the sense that God loves. He is the standard. He is the one who ultimately defines what love is. Keep reading. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest. It was displayed. It was revealed among us. How was God's love made manifest among us? John says that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. There's three things that stand out to me about the love of God through Christ here. And one is right there about His life. Look at verse 10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His love, His Son, to be the propitiation, the appeasement, the peace for our sins. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We ought to love the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, we should love one another. And then he says in verse 12, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, God abides in us. He remains in us. He continues to exist in us and His love is perfected, His love is completed in us. That's the idea there. Beautiful Scripture, a lot to gain from it. So some of the observations that stood out to me again, love exists because God exists. Kind of tying in with the introduction there, because God is love. You can't have this eternal existence and this basis of all virtue without our Creator, without the One who has always been. And no one knows God unless they love and love the way that he does. We can't make up our own definition of love. We can't just say, well, I love whoever believes and agrees with me and is my definition of my standard and whatever my social circle says. No, it has to be according to God's standard, according to his word, his way. God displays this love by sending his son, sending his son where? Into the world, into the midst of us, he reveals how He loves us because of the way that Jesus lived. Jesus' whole life demonstrates that. We know that as Christians. Demonstrates what it means to love. And that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't get angry. It doesn't mean that um, Jesus never would, would never offend anybody. No, He definitely spoke the truth. This you know, doesn't mean that Jesus would not talk about things like sin or repentance or hell. No, if you love, you're going to st- talk about those things, and Jesus does. We see this, by love, God sent His Son so that we may have life. What kind of life? Now, if you read the Gospel of John, you know how John uses and the word life. He's talking about eternal life. He's talking about the resurrection. He's, those are the things that are, that are in his mind that Jesus Christ came for that purpose to save us, to give us salvation. And so we see that love. We also see love in that Jesus is the propitiation. That is, He has appeased justice god is love and he's also just and so when we sin and we do wrong and we've done evil we need forgiveness and so god says i will make a way for this and without being unjust i will send my son and he dies on our behalf and makes peace for us that's god's love that justice does not fall on us you know i think about those things it's just wonderful christ came his life his example beautiful the hope of eternal life the resurrection beautiful His Son coming to die on our behalf and give us peace with our Creator. Beautiful. Wonderful things that we get to read about but be a part of as Christians. We see this as another observation I see here in 1 John chapter 4 from our reading. If God loved us like this, then we should love one another. We should love love one another. And it starts there with our own brethren. Oftentimes when you see um, people talking about love, and they say, oh, I believe in love, but Love starts in the home and it starts with loving your neighbor. And your closest neighbor is going to start with your spouse and those who you live with, the people who are closest to you, with your family. It starts with your brothers and your sisters and Christ. You can't say, Well, I love my neighbor and those around me in the community, but you mistreat your family or your wife or your children, or that you cause division and and spread slander about people in the church you cannot do that you are not living by love when you do that that is a contradiction so we as christians are told that we need to love one another and it starts there and it and it goes outward god exists in the believers and i think this is a wonderful thought god exists in us but how does he exist in us well if you keep reading which i meant to read the next verse verse 13 you look in first john 4 and verse 13 and it's because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. He, God's own Spirit, dwells within us. So God exists in believers. And as long as we are born again and God's love is within us, His love is completed in us because, uh, again, God is still demonstrating His love to the world. Who are His, his, his hands and His feet? Who is the, the body? Well, we read about in 1 Corinthians Chapter 12 That we are the parts of the body that we are operating as an extension of God's love in this world. And we need to do that. We need to represent the love of God to those who are around us. I want to think a little bit more about these things this morning as we look into 1 John and we look at a few other passages in connection, some of the other words of Christ that I think are very, very helpful for us to think about how we love our neighbor, how we love our brethren. And how we love our enemies. How do we love our enemies? What's the purpose of that? So Jesus had some very insightful, revealing things that I can't imagine anybody else ever seeing or applying unless Jesus is the Christ, that he is the son of God. The things that he said about love and the things that he encouraged his followers to do is amazing. We're going to think about that. But we should not think that God created all creation and humankind because he's hateful or condemning, as many people would like to portray and think about God. No, not at all. He created everything for his design. He created this world for his virtues and his attributes to be manifested in humanity. And we read about in 1 Peter that God wants a people who are holy, who live holy lives. And that means we're going to live in a way that demonstrates the love of God. Well, Christ, as Christians, we also know that we remain in God and God continues to remain and dwell within us because He gave us His spirit. We see that emphasized in First John 4:13 and First John three and verse 24. these things are taught. But you know John also warns in the beginning of First John chapter four. He says, "You be aware of deceitful spirits and false teachers and those who are claiming something contrary to the truth." And so even in the context of this, John is saying, be aware, but you'll be able to see, you'll be able to know, you'll be able to to look at the fruits upon the tree as Jesus proclaimed and taught us to do, and to see who is genuinely following God and living by his love. Let's go a little bit further now from that passage in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Now look at verses 13 through 15. And this is what John says. He says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit we know that we have a blessing from the indwelling of god's spirit the strengthening that comes from that the power and the blessing the protection and when we were baptized in the christ when we were born again we received that gift and he says when we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world so whoever confesses that jesus is the son of god god abides in him and he in god and so someone might be thinking at first well, okay, if I just love, then that's all that matters. Then, you know, what else do I need to read? Do I, I don't really need to read any more of the Bible now or, or see what God's commandments are or follow any organization for the church. You know, and some people have oversimplified Christianity to that extent. Well, if I just love, then I'm a Christian and that's all I need to know. And they might go to some of these passages and say, see, I love people, therefore God abides in me and I abide in God, and therefore I don't really need to do anything else or believe anything else. But the Scriptures say that there's more to it than that. I need to hold to the faith, to the confession of the faith that Jesus is the Son of God. Why? Because Jesus is that example. I cannot make up on my own what it means to love. I've got to have that ultimate example. So I need to confess that Jesus is the Christ that He is the Savior of the world because it shapes the way that I love and that I understand the love of God. Go a little bit further now. Chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. He says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. What love? Well, we believe the love of Christ. We believe that Jesus came and died for us. We believe the gospel that He rose again from the dead. Just as the songs we've been singing this morning about love and the faith in Christ, that we believe in Him. We continue to read here again. John says, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him, and by this is love, and by this is love perfected with us. Love is completed with us. Why? Because we hold to the faith. And so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because he is so, also we are in the world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love, completed love. When we live by love, it casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love, and we love because He first loved us. So we see from the very beginning, God loved us from the very beginning, and we see the love of Christ. That should be the source. That's why we study. That's why we gather on the first day of the week. That's why we read our Bibles, and we study them. We want to know and understand the love of God. We want to see the love of Christ. And we can have confidence in the end that we've been perfected in this, and that We don't have to have fear on the day of judgment. There's something wrong if we are uh, that fearful. And that fear is not always a bad thing. Jesus says, don't fear the one who can destroy the body, but who can cast body and soul into hell. So there's there's a good fear. When you are living in sin, there's that fear of punishment. But when you start to live by love and you live a holy life, that fear goes away. And you can live in confidence in the day of God's judgment. So the faithful, what do we do? What what we've been seeing here that John has been communicating about God's love is that we confess Christ, we believe in him, and that we live to love others, especially our brethren, our neighbors, and we love our enemies. We read throughout the scriptures about how God, and we've read here, God is love, and love is the first of the first fruits of the spirit first john chapter 4 verses 20 and 21 at the end of that chapter john says if anyone says i love god and hates his brother he is a liar so now we get to some stronger words oh i love you god but i don't like so and so i can't stand him don't want to talk to him anytime i get a chance to talk about him behind his back i'm going to do it and so if anyone says i love god and hates his brother he is a liar for he who does not love his own brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So how can, how can you say you hate your brother in Christ, but then say you love God? John says it's impossible, and he's right. We can see that's true. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And looking at that, this seems to stand out as the main part where of, of John's context how he got here in the first place. He's encouraging these Christians. He's thinking about this, and it's being written later in the, in, the, in the first century, later in the history of the church. What's John going to leave behind? What's he going to, what instruction is he going to give? And so he's leaving behind this message of the love of God. And if you back up into chapter three, these are the things that we read about here. We see that. At this John says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Jesus said that, and John is simply referring to what Jesus said and what he taught his disciples. The world's going to hate you, even when you live by love. He says, and we know that we have passed out of death into life. We have eternal life, he says, because we love the brothers. And that's a part of living as though you're a Christian and you're confident in eternal life is because you love the brothers. And he says, and whoever does not love abides in death. You've got to do this. And that's an interesting thing when you start thinking about it. You hear people today, even in regards to marriage, saying, well, I fell out of love and we couldn't stay together and we had to separate and we had to divorce. What does the Bible teach us about love? Well, the Bible, we have from God, it's not, like, it's not an encouragement, well, you should love. It's a command to love. And when it comes to marriage, the Bible tells the husband, love your wife. And wives, love your husband. It's a command. It's not something that you fall out of feeling. It's something that knowing God and knowing your Creator, you continue to work on. And He says here whoever does not love abides in death. We might want to, we need to examine our lives and say, am I loving the way that God has commanded me to? We keep reading here it says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. The very thought of that a very disturbing thought to think of someone being a murderer the epistle of james says similar things in regards to to hatred and living by envy for, against others and hate in those things that you the one who does that is essentially living as though they're a murderer but everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that a murderer has no no murderer has eternal life abiding in him amazing things to think about And then we get back to the core of what it means to be a Christian and to love. In 1 John 3, 16 through 18, John says this, By this we know love. How do we know love? What what makes Christians different from all others? What is it about our faith that changes us? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. You know, I was thinking this morning, I was listening to you, Richard, when you were on the table, the things that you are saying, I was thinking, I don't know, if, did he get a copy of my sermon ahead of time? Because the things you were saying, I was thinking, yes, yes, that's, that's what's going to tie into the message, that we see the love of Christ, that he laid down his life for us. And, and as Richard was talking about making that sacrifice, we see that in Jesus and we see his love. Every first day of the week, we're blessed to partake of the communion, to think of the love of Jesus, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You ever thought about that? Do we lay down our lives for others? We lay down our pride, our ego, maybe any kind of insult or hard feelings. And then John goes on here, he doesn't just stop. He says, lay down your lives for the brethren. What does that mean, John? He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You can't see the person next to you who is in need and to ignore them. So John says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth heard a lot lately about certain cliches that people say and you probably might have heard it on the media oh thoughts and prayers and some people saying oh everybody's saying thoughts and prayers but you never do anything and I think you know there's I want to hear about the thoughts and prayers and yes it's true there needs to be action that takes place that if we really love there are actions and it's and it's not by our own definition it's according to truth that we love so As we're thinking about these great things this morning, I want us to think a little bit further about the application of it. How does this change our life? We have Christ as the greatest example in His life and in His death of what it means to love others. What do we do with that? What are we doing with the love of Christ? Has it changed us? And I think about the things, again, that we hear in the news and the media that sometimes are thousands of miles away from us. And in some ways they're concerning, but in some ways they shouldn't be concerning because there's many times nothing we can do about them. But There are things that we can do right here. That's going to make the greatest difference in this world. And it's not worrying about what's happening hundreds of miles away from us or in the next big city. It's about loving our neighbors and those who are close to us right now. That's going to make the biggest difference, the biggest impact in this world. Think about Jesus never leaving Judea except for in his youth going down to Egypt and coming back. But his ministry being there in Judea and Galilee and that little piece of land and what a great difference he made by loving his neighbors, by loving the nation of Israel and bringing the gospel to to, to them to share with the world. When we love our neighbors, we fulfill the law. And you remember here in Matthew 22, I'm going to leave it for your reading. But Matthew twenty-two thirty-five 35 to 40, you have Jesus toward the end of his life, and he's being tested. And one lawyer comes toward the end of this testing, kind of an open debate, asking him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And you, you know the greatest commands to love God and to love your neighbor. And do we love our neighbors? You know, the response when we, we see the parable of the Good Samaritan in the Bible is because of the response of, of one was that who is my neighbor? I don't want to recognize who is my neighbor. Who's the person next to me, nearest to me in my home who lives next door to me or down the street or who I work with? Those are the ones that we need to love. We need to be thinking, what good can I do for them? I, if you see someone in need, what what are you doing for them? And I believe it, fundamentally, more good comes from loving your brother, loving your neighbor, and loving your enemy locally than all the wishing that the rich and powerful people in this world would just fix all these big problems. It starts right here. That's where it begins. You know, you start thinking about that, and I'll bring up another point in a moment, but all the great and wonderful things that you see in this world, the great charities throughout our brotherhood, the, the organizations, the schools, the wonderful acts of caring. When I think about Rain Tree, I think about these great works, they had to start somewhere. Where where does stuff like that start? How How does that begin? It's going to begin, you know, by someone saying, "This child doesn't have a home, care for them." And that leads to more children being cared for. That leads to an organization that has a profound effect on the community and on the world. Loving others close to you, I believe, does more good than all the government agencies and the foundations and the super-wealthy could ever do. We've seen that. That's the power of the Christian faith. I don't have to be a billionaire. I don't have to be the president or governor or some other official. I need to love my neighbor. I love my brothers. I love my enemies. And I see that in the words of Christ. This morning, if I could take another hour and go through Luke chapter 6, and it's a part of our readings for this week. but I'm going to take a section of it right here, and I want you to listen to, again, the words of Christ. I was looking over the sermon. I had to I was just moving, had to remove slides. I'm going to have to save that for another sermon. But this one, I definitely cannot remove. Not for another day. Look here, Luke chapter 6, verses 32 to 36, Jesus taught. This is on the Sermon on the Plain. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? So you love those who love you. What benefit is that? What does that gain? What does that do? How does that improve the world? Those are some of my thoughts that come along with it. Jesus says, for even sinners love those who love them. That's true. He says, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even the nations do that. The sinners do the same. He says, for even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Yeah, so you're doing your job and you're lending. He says, even the sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Many times it's for more. He says, But love your enemies. Love your enemies. And I, I think sometimes when, when you hear the command, Love your neighbor, people say, Well, who's my neighbor? As we see in the Bible, but a lot of times when it says, The scripture says, Love your enemies, a lot of people say, Well, who is my enemy? Well, you read, if you read all Luke 6, you'll see very clearly it's those who persecute, those who slander you, those who say things against you, those who are hateful to you. Those are your enemies. Jesus defines it, He makes it clear. He says this, "Beloved your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the most high, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful." Is that true? Does God love his enemies? He does. He's given his enemies life. He offers them salvation and he is kind we follow his example and there again my note here to think about all those grassroots local charities that start up that i know that here in thomasville and that they're in all these different communities as i've been able to live in montgomery and live in tennessee and to live in um i guess it'd be south middle south florida and then jacksonville you see a lot of these things and these charities and these good works especially those among the the churches of christ so how did they begin well they began with loving your neighbor loving your brothers and loving your enemies i encourage you this morning do you see god's love in your life these are things that i think about It's an amazing thing, the things, beautiful things that we've been able to read and study this morning, think about deeply. And the Bible says, if you've been born of God, you will love your brothers, you will love your neighbors, you will love the way that God loves, who even loves his enemies. I want to encourage you with these words, because after John said these things... He says it doesn't stop there. It's just not just mere love. God, I love and you love, and therefore I don't need it to do anything else. Listen to what John says here. 1 John 5, 1 through 3. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. If you believe and you confess that faith, and as we read the rest of the scriptures, you've repented and you've put on Christ in baptism, then yes, you've been born of God. And he says, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. You're going to love your brethren. But what does that mean to love my brethren? He says, it's a little bit more than what you might be thinking. He says, By this we know that we love the children of God, that we love those who are in the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ. By this we know that we love them. He says, When we love God, notice that. You love your brethren when you love God. And you love God and you love your brethren when you obey His commandments. You can't just say, Well, I love my brother. Well, do you love God? Yes, I love God. Or do you keep his commandments? I don't know. I, I don't know him. No, you can't say that. He says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. They're not hard on you. They're for your benefit and your blessing. And every one of us know that. When we live by the commandments of God, it's a wonderful thing. I encourage you this morning to obey God. When he commands us to be born of the water and the spirit, do it. He loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you to give you salvation, to set an example of love, to offer you eternal life, to give you peace, the sacrifice of his death on the cross. And Jesus says that those who are born of the water and spirit shall enter the kingdom of God. I encourage you this morning, you haven't put on Christ in baptism, do it. You need prayers, whatever encouragement you need, we encourage you to come forward now. Let's sing together.